Welcome to Burlers Hurlers. It is June 23rd. The White Sox are 44 and 30, two and a half games up on the Indians. I'm host Dan. And this is Don. It's like it's like you've been doing it the whole time. I practiced. So today the White Sox pulled off what was a must-win game. <laughs> <laughs> against the Pirates, stopped the bleeding after a, getting swept in four by Houston, losing the opener to Pittsburgh, lowly Pittsburgh. So on top of the injuries along the way, it's, it's been a rough week for the White Sox, Don. I think something that's emblematic of that is like you texted today about Dylan Cease's hitting and like how good it was. Like both of us really like, and there was like a serious consideration like, Man, does Dylan Cease need to get more at bats like this year? That's how kind of awful the offense has been, where it's not an outrageous question. You watch him hit, it's like, oh, that guy can swing. Good contact here, like puts the ball in play. Maybe bat him ninth instead of your mean Mercedes. Like, is it insane to say that Dylan Cease would be better than your mean Mercedes right now at DH? Yeah, from a skill perspective, it's not. From a risk injury perspective, perspective oh, it is yeah. insane yeah i mean i i'm totally right there with you cease has a really good swing and you know it'd be funny it'd be cool but realistically you can't put the third best pitcher on the team out there every day it's just too risky i would gain a lot of respect for larusa if he had the balls to do that like this has been going so bad this team needs a jolt of energy i'm giving the people what they want but dylan cease out there That'd i can be see awesome. a pinch hit I'd oh, love yeah, to see some pinch hits because the dude has a really good swing. It's quick. He's in the zone for a lot of his swing. It's I, I like it. It's not even like good for a pitcher. Like he looks like a real hitter. I know he didn't get any hits today, but if you didn't see the game yet today and you're listening to this, like we're not kidding. Dylan Cease looks like a real hitter. Yeah, he famously went, well, somewhat famously went three for three in his first professional at bats against the reds so there was a bunch of talk on the broadcast today if he was going to do it again and yeah good solid contact i mean he easily could have had two doubles today but he was 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 however it turned out he also had a really bad strikeout so who knows i mean but so does your mean you know at this point it's not like we have a ton of good options here yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is your mean done as an everyday player on the Sox. I mean, short answer is yes, right? Like, how, what's the logic to giving him regular at-bats, let alone, like, keeping him on the team? Yeah, it just, you saw it coming, but it's come so quickly and so, like, I don't know, tragically. It's, like, sad to watch him in these at-bats. He's struggling. That... Yeah, what else is there to say? He's just not producing. He had a hit the other day and a pinch hit uh, opportunity, but it was bad before that. I think he went 0 for 13 at one point or 0 for 15 with like nine strikeouts. It got ugly. 
There's also that, I don't know if you read that article, I think it might have been Sox Machine, about um, how bad he's been with fastballs. And not even, like, elite velocity. We're talking, like, anything above 92 miles an hour, your mean has been a disaster. So once the league figured out, like, oh, we don't have to give this guy sliders and make him change, we literally just have to throw an average fastball right by him every time, and he's going to get himself up. And it's true, like... So there's not really an adjustment you can make. That's not something a major league hitter can adjust to. Like, oh, I need to be better in fastballs. Like Hawk Harrelson used to say all the time, like, if you can't hit a fastball, you're not a major leaguer. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, I think a lot of his early success, you know, pitchers use a lot of off-speed stuff today. So he just you kind of expect a minor league player to just be able to hit fastballs and not breaking balls. So maybe that flip caught a lot of pitchers off guard early. Right. Right. So what would you, if, I mean, I don't know if it's, uh, cause I think like those Eduardo Escobar rumors are kind of to replace magical. What do we do at DH? Do we call up your boy, Gavin sheets? You know, what other options do we have? I mean, that's an option. I'd say it's a bad one. You know, <laughs> I love Gavin sheets and I'm in the fan club before, but, uh, th- <laughs> Think back to the start of the year when we were complaining about Andrew Vaughn being the DH solution. And, you know, he's played well, not like he's not blown the the doors off anyone. But Gavin Sheets is a significantly lower graded prospect than Andrew Vaughn. So for us to be reaching deeper into that well, it's like scary to think about Sheets being the replacement I think but, they have to move now. Like how, how much storm can this roster weather? Like you, you're saying is Eduardo Escobar off the table right now? I think they have to go out and get someone like him, him to be specific. I don't. Okay. So to defend Gavin sheets, who I don't think is good, but if we're not going to trade for anybody, Andrew Vaughn is killing lefties, you know, give him credit. He's doing, he's an amazing hitter against lefties. So right now we just need the easiest thing in the world, which is like a corner outfielder DH type who can only hit righties. Those guys are dime a dozen. That's basically every major league hitter, not super athletic, put him in left field, can crush righties. Gavin Sheets can hit righties. Like this year, I'm looking at his splits against righties. He's hitting 330. He's got a 561 slugging percentage. And he sucks against lefties. So call up Gavin Sheets, platoon him and Andrew Vaughn, straight platoon. And I think you're going to see like a combine those two into like a pretty decent hitter. I know it's not exciting, but it's kind of depressing to say Gavin Sheets is, I think, an immediate upgrade over your mean Mercedes. And then also get Eduardo Escobar. And then I think like we're going to be able to tread water for a couple months until Eloy and Luis Robert get back. Okay, I thought you were suggesting Gavin Sheets is the next guy up. He's the next Brian Goodwin guy out of nowhere that's just going to jump into the lineup and fix everything. You want both moves. You want Sheets up, Durham out, and us to make a move for Escobar. Right. I I mean, I think because if you trade for Escobar now, what does that really do? Like Escobar, he's fine. He's like, whatever, has some power. But you play him at second. Is he really? I mean, Larry Garcia like is not good, but he's he's good defensively. So is it that big of a difference over like Mendick and Garcia? I really don't think so. So I think that like plugs one hole, and there's still an enormous other hole. 
But I mean, I, God, let's zoom out a little bit. Look at the standings. Like, are you worried when you, you let off the show two and a half games over the Indians? Are you worried? Does that worry you that we're, it's that close? Not really. If you'd asked me the start of the season before July first place, I'd be happy. I mean, it, right. you know, that ignores everything that's led to this moment. Uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of reason to be concerned. I mean, it's hard to win in baseball. It's not easy. So, I, I we're still ahead. We're gonna hopefully be ahead. If it gets down to like, I don't know, they're behind two and a half at the All Star break, then I'm concerned. Right. Well, because here's like, yeah, am I like super concerned about the Houston and Pittsburgh stuff? Not really. But if you uh, go back to June in June. The last 20 games, guess how many times the White Sox have scored more than five runs in the last 20 games? Hmm. Five? Four. Yeah. So it, since the start of June, the offense has been just bad. And in oh, the yeah. last 10 games, like basically since we saw Glass now, his arm fall off around there, we've scored more than four runs once. So like... Yeah, we're up on the Indians, but the offense is objectively bad right now. There's no clear upgrade unless you're willing to give up, like, Kopech and Andrew Vaughn and all that. So, am I, like, super concerned? No, but I think, like, if Rick Hahn's looking at this and thinking, oh, it's just a blip, it's just a, we'll get through it, I think that's a mistake, too. So I don't think you should be freaking out, but I don't think it's like, yeah, we'll ride through this, we'll be fine. Every season has bumps. I, I disagree yeah. with, like, that end of the spectrum, too. Yeah, um, I, I guess not being concerned factors in assuming they're going to make a move. If they don't make a move, I have major, major concerns because how long can we ride this skeleton crew? Not very. Like you say, Escobar is fine. Is he that much better than Garcia and Mendick? And I, I would say yes, like a lot better, a lot as versatile as Leary. I'm sure he could even play outfield. We don't need him to, but way more power, way more like star moments. Like you go out and get a guy like that who can potentially hit two or three home runs in a game once a year. I mean, that's just, those are special guys and Leary and Mendick, you know, they, they're workers, but they're, they're not special like Escobar is. I'm looking up Escobar's numbers. So in 2019, he did hit 35 homers. He had a 5.11 slugging. Like that's pretty awesome. Last year, horrible. This year, like 2.87 on base. Like, like last year he was a he had negative WAR in 50 games, and this year he's like one. He's basically on like a pace for like a two two and a half WAR pace. So like, I'm just like not super excited about that because I think yeah. knowing Rick Hahn. He's going to make that move and like act like everything's okay. So I'd rather like do nothing than like plug this tiny hole in like Ryan Surf and Han, pretend like everything's fine. I almost think like that's worse. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. You said you wanted Escobar. Now you don't want Escobar. <laughs> well, I, I want Escobar like as. Yeah, I guess, oh, man, I don't know what I think. I want Escobar. If Han is committed to like making another deal or calling up someone, like call up everyone, like give Luis Gonzalez this 10 days, 
send him down. Call up Gavin Sheets, send him down. Call up Jake Berger, send him down. Like, let's start auditioning a lot of people. Like, Micker Adolfo. I know, like, we've kind of, like, laughed at these guys before, but, I mean, your mean was incredible for a month. We need to find another guy like that. Because that's how the Sox survive. You've been all about that this year. Like, uh, hero by committee. Let's start giving these young guys a shot. See if they can catch fire for two weeks. What I don't want Han to do is just to, like, keep grinding away with your main. Keep grinding away with Andrew Vaughn getting crushed by righties. Like, something needs to change, even if it's not super exciting. Yeah, I hear that. The hero by committee, like, certain... <laughs> heroes potential heroes have lower odds and i guess it, really there's no 100 percent hit like even escobar you put him in he could be trash for a month and then hot for a month we don't know there none of these options are star options and i guess you know where it's like you can just not worry about it that would be ideal but i don't think it exists right now does it no no, but he will hear some good news. So I'm looking at the schedule. We have five series left before the All-Star break, and we're facing zero good teams. We're facing Seattle at home. We got a home and away against Minnesota. We face Detroit on the road and Baltimore on the road. So, like, those are four pretty bad teams. And, I mean, the road games, like, it sucks. But, I mean, if we can't take care of business against Detroit and Baltimore then I don't think we're really deserved to be a playoff team anyway. So I think Han does have some time to figure it out. The next three weeks, not urgent, but like, wow. I don't know if you've seen the second half schedule. That is That gets brutal fast. Yeah, the Sox have been a bit lucky that the Central has had some some bad teams where we've been able to stack some wins. And really against good teams or even just different teams, We've kind of done poorly. We did well against Tampa Bay. We got swept by the Yankees. Got swept by Houston. We'll see what happens. Cause you're right. The next few weeks should be coastable in a certain way. So maybe it is time to see what you have. Because we've got until July 30th to make a deal, and even still, you can make weird deals after that. Maybe it is the time to see what everyone's got. Do a quick analysis before the All-Star break. We've got some bad teams that can potentially get some stats against, get some good, you know, <laughs> near minor league experience in the majors. So I'm on board with this plan of bringing up everyone, just seeing who can do what. Wouldn't that be fun, too? Just like every scrub in the minors, like you're getting two weeks. Like that's kind of fun. Maybe Jake Berger gets called up and like hits four homers in a week. And then it's like a, a redo of your mean Mercedes, like this kind of overweight weirdo who doesn't do anything well in the baseball field except apparently hit. Then he'll he'll have a burger named after him. Like it's all good. It's, it's going to be awesome. So Burlers Hurlers advocated for Jake Burger to be called up tomorrow. I think that's official. Write it in. Mm-hmm. Just for the food tie-in. Right. For no other reason. Right. Um. So something about the power that I kind of found interesting, like you were talking about the lack of run production in the last couple weeks, there have been the home runs have gone way down. And the person who has a majority of our home runs is Adam Engel and he's injured again. So like, 
even those blips that we had that's gone too it's just that's kind of a weird thing to think about because adam angle is not really a power hitter and he hit three home runs in less than 30 at bats so that was a little like you're saying a jolt out of nowhere we need those jolts yeah because i mean like abreu has been objectively bad for like a month moncada has been pretty bad for a couple weeks. Anderson has kind of just done whatever. We don't have a star anymore. So we're not even be, being anchored by like stars this last month. So, yeah, I mean, what Abreu, are we doing? I've never seen someone rush to 02 counts faster than Abreu right now. It's every time he's batting, it's he's in the he's behind. It's for a, you know, MVP, you don't see that too often. They end up ahead of more more counts than not. He's one of those guys where like there aren't many superstars like it where he can look horrible for weeks and weeks. Like, obviously, we're not watching Mike Trout every single day, but, I mean, I watch the Angel game. There aren't, like, Mike Trout doesn't take at-bats off. Mike Trout, I doubt, has, like, two weeks where it's like, oh, my God, should that be guy be, like, in AAA? But Abreu has these weird, weird stretches where he's, like, unplayable, body language is terrible, and, like, does absolutely nothing. And, I mean, he's getting up there. I worried about him before the MVP year, and now it's like, oh, is this really Abreu? He just had a hot 50 games during COVID. Like, something to be concerned about. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's been his story his whole career here, though. Just hot and cold, hot and cold. I'd, I'd say Anderson has kept up his part of the bargain, and Grandal is doing what he does. Oh, God, I love him. <laughs> I really Don do. texted like, me asking if Grandal is our best player right now. I mean, the answer has to be yes, though, right? Like, who Grandal every single day now is like, oh my god, thank God Grandal's up right now. Like, right man, right spot, big hits, right time. Like, and he's hitting. He's still hitting a buck seventy two. Like, I texted you that thinking, like, I'm gonna look up his stats. I bet he's like hitting two twenty right now. Like, no, he's still. His numbers are still pretty bad. This is one big hit every two games, and like that's what we need. Last seven days, he's batting three sixteen. For Grandal, that, yeah, oh, that's huge. I mean, that's that might as well be eight hundred for him. Right? Yeah, that's how many walks. That's only two walks in that period. So maybe he's getting a little more aggressive, which I'm a fan of. Like we talked about that earlier, sort of taking the long approach early and then ramping up into, you know, who we who we paid for with Grandal, which is an elite hitter. So he's been really good. I think at the moment, yes, he's our best player by far. And in every statistical category, that is true. So it's like objectively true. <laughs> he said, I was listening to an interview with him. I can't remember where, but he said something interesting that I don't know if I believe, but it makes sense. He said that, uh, you know, he's been in the national league his entire career. So last year was his first year in the AL and he was seeing a lot of pitchers for the first time and he's a guy that like doesn't necessarily like to watch a lot of video. He doesn't, you know, he likes to learn from experiencing it and so just like going through just the central last year. Cause like it was a weird COVID season. He still didn't get to see a lot of pitchers. So this year, like 2021 is really his first time seeing a ton of the AL and there was an adjustment period where like he was still getting on base. He was taking his walks, but like, he was just getting used to seeing pitchers. And now he's starting to see guys like second time, third time, 
and he's turning it, turning it on. So I don't know if it's like an excuse for poor performance that kind of doesn't make sense, or if it's genuine where he's like, no, I need to see guys two, three, four times to get a feeling that I'm going to crush them, which does seem to be happening, and it makes it like super encouraging for the second half. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even in a single game, you get better at bats right. on a pitcher. So that same logic across a career, you know, you have built up mem- mental cash of National League pitchers exclusively. And now it's, well, so, you know, some you've seen some of them, but yeah, it's totally different. That that makes a lot of sense. We should, I mean, should we bet on Grandal to win MVP just to hit like 370 the rest of the year? Like twenty homers. I mean, I love losing bets on the White Sox, so I'm in. Oh man, we've lost a lot this year. Yeah, it's not looking good. For uh, there's a few bets I non White Sox related that are looking okay, but we we didn't know what we were talking about. We led y'all astray, and you know what are you what are you gonna do? They were good bets at the time, though. Come on, Madrigal was gonna be Rookie of the Year, obvious. Ooh, I found, okay, I got Grandal uh, MVP odds right here. W- what would you be comfortable about? Like, what would the odds have to be for you to be like, yeah, I'll put like 10, 20 bucks on that. 10 or 20 bucks. Uh, I don't know, 2,000? It's 150 to 1. Yeah, I'd bet that. <laughs> yeah, right, like 10 bucks to win $1,500 for Grandal just like tear it up and like carry this team. Because, like, the, I know we're making this narrative and we're, like, really bad at White Sox bets, but if Abreu stays, like, whatever, and Tim Anderson is, like, good, not great, and Moncada doesn't hit for power, and, like, the pitching staff is awesome as a whole, but, like, no standout performer, you're going to have to reward somebody on the White Sox for carrying this team. And if, like, Shohei Otani, like, I, I don't think voters are going to vote for him. I, I don't know. Somebody from the White Sox is going to have to like get top five votes. And if Grandal at the end of the year, you're like, whoa, we had 140 walks and 25 homers with good defense. Like that's he's going to have like six wins above replacement. I'm honestly, I'm going to put the bet in right now. Going to lose ten dollars real quick. I am not going to talk you out of it. uh, (laughs) Go for it. I mean, it's a fun bet, and it has potential. And that's what I like about it. Like, you know, betting on Jose or Luis Robert at the start of the year makes more sense. But this could happen if he turns it on. But Shohei, he's destroying the league right now. He's 23 home runs. (laughs) He's been unbelievable. I guess I'm just assuming, not that he's going to get injured, but I'm assuming that they're going to wind down his pitching, where he's not going to get a ton of uh accumulated stats from pitching and then like is Otani as a hitter really gonna keep up this pace? I'm not certain of that. I hope so. I mean I love watching him. I'm I think I'm more convinced that Grandal is just gonna be awesome for two months than Otani's gonna be this like otherworldly guy for the rest of the year. It, this is an insane bet. I mean it's a it's a waste of money, but he Yaz is just such a fun guy to root for. He like clearly cares. It's, it, I love the guy. I really do. He's really interesting to watch. He does some bizarre things on the field. And he always has good at-bats, which I love. But <laughs> there, there was a game today where he threw down to third on strike two. 
he's always got his glove hanging out, getting a pitcher batter interference. Uh, yeah. What else? Not ideal. He took a ball literally right down the middle and then had a, had a fit about it when he got called out. <laughs> Those are the best though. Cause that, that hasn't just happened like once there's been like 10 times this year where Grandal struck out on a easy strike and yells at the umpire. So like, what, do the umpires like get intimidated by this? And then maybe it's a huge strategy. Like where in NBA players, they'll like yell at the refs. So they'll get a call later. Grandal just yells at everyone for everything knowing that he'll get some calls later. Teams to be working out. Due to, I mean, the dude has 54 walks in 54 games this year. That's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I'm not criticizing the move. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. Like, that, he's so funny. Yeah. I, I've definitely come around on everything, Yasmani. Uh, you got a topic you want to throw out? You want to pivot away from whatever we've been talking about? Check this out. So I'm looking at the Indians. They're, um, you know, only two and a half games back, and they've played three fewer games than us. But their schedule the rest of the way, the rest of the, before the All-Star break, is actually pretty brutal. So, like, as awesome as our schedule is, as easy as ours is, Indians, they're, they're facing Houston. They're facing Tampa Bay. Then they got, like, KC, Detroit, Minnesota. So they're about to go through what we just went through. So we really, like, might be able to tread water and gain ground because they could easily go, like, you know, 7 and 13. So it's almost like another reason for Han to do nothing. Just, like, well, let the Indians kind of just hurt themselves. But then, I mean, they're going to get Bieber back soon. They're going to get Zach Plesak back soon. Like, we don't have a ton of time to gain ground on the Indians, so it's kind of worrisome, too, but... I mean, if they, if they go into Houston and, like, sweep them, I'm just like, oh, my God. Maybe we do have to worry. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tight all the way up until the end of the year until we get our star players back. There's no way around that. This isn't the same team that we were like, oh, yeah, 90 wins. That seems doable. This is a team that's going to have to gut it out and to get to, like, 86 wins. You know? It's, it, it's different. You can for me, I've adjusted my sort of stress level on winning and losing just because we've lost so much. So what what can be expected? I think it's going to be tight all the way to the end because Cleveland's not a bad team. And, you know, Minnesota, they're 12 or whatever back They're They're not bad. They'll find a way to win some games. These aren't bad teams, but I guess are you, if we're in the wild card game, like, let's say it's us versus the Yankees, one game, wild card, winner take all. After, like, the injuries of the season, would you consider that a success? Do we win that wild card game? Uh, not, it doesn't matter for the question, but just, like, just getting there. Like, we're in that fake playoffs, we're in the wild card game. Would you consider that a successful season? Uh, it can either be successful or unsuccessful. <laughs> Uh, that would probably be unsuccessful at the start of the year, but given everything, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I think like it would be hard to, it'd be hard to take that as a success, honestly. Like 
because we're looking at, I'm looking at the run different. We still have the best run differential in baseball in the AL. Oh no, the Astros too. So we have the second best run differential in the AL. We had a monster lead most of the season, and like due to inactivity with the front office, like we're kind of just letting this squander away. And if we have to like go into the Yankee Stadium for like a one game, like I, I'd be terrified of that. If we go into Tampa or something, I'd be terrified of that. So. I think like we really do need to win the division. Uh, the opportunities there, the team we thought we would be competing with Minnesota is like so far back. Like we ha- I think we have to win the division. And I mean, I'm I'm all for Kettle Marte. I know you're for Kettle Marte. I just I, I think yeah, wild card game. I'd be disappointed. I, I'd consider it a failure. Yeah, I mean, really, the only reason I'd even well, the main reason I'm going to say not a failure is because when's the last time the White Sox went to playoffs back-to-back seasons in franchise history? Has it ever happened? Wow, that is a good question. Wow. I don't think it has. And, you know, that was a more difficult proposition back in the day before divisional playoffs, but it's still been about 30, no, yeah, 30 years of divisional play. Something like that. Here, I'm looking it up. We we have literally never made the playoffs two times in a row. That's incredible. Yeah, that's the only reason that I would say success, just because it wasn't how it's always been, where it's just a flash in the pan, and then we miss out by six games, and then the next year is a total disaster. Like, even in the best of circumstances, I still thought we were away a year away from the World Series. So I, that's why I don't count it as a failure if we get back. That, but but like last year we snuck in because of the expanded playoffs, and then like this year it would be the wild card game. So it's almost like you have to put an asterisk on it too, where. True. Both years, you can be convinced, like, eh, did we really make the play? Baseball is the sport of asterisks, though, so chalk two more up. I'm I'm stunned that the White Sox have never made the playoffs in consecutive seasons. That's, like, one of the most incredible stats I've ever heard. Yeah, I think I heard it on the radio about a month ago, and I was like, wow, yeah, that's true. Anyway. I mean, I guess, yeah, like... In our bones, we feel that the White Sox have been like horrible for most of our lives, but God. Wow. Right. And I like if over the next five years we're a team that's in the playoffs every year in some shape or form, that's ideal to me. So I don't want to get too greedy too soon. Like, yeah, if we make the playoffs, that's great. However, it happens. You take your shot. How many wildcard teams have won the World Series? A lot because it's all yeah, about true. being hot. True. So, I mean, I'm good with that. Like, of course I want us to win the division and to win a hundred games and for everyone to come back healthy, but here we are. And we know the White Sox front office comes up short in a lot of ways. So I don't, I don't expect them to blow us away with some move. I think a move will happen. We've talked about a lot on this show, but some move will happen and I don't see it answering all the questions. It's hard to answer all the questions with a move, especially when you have such well-laid plans, you know? Well, let me give you this uh, hypothetical. So Lance Lynn, free agent at the end of the year, Rodon, free agent at the end of the year. Let's say in the next few weeks, Rick Hahn re-signs both of them. 
you know, good contracts, three years, whatever. And he's pretty open and says, listen, we, we re-signed Lance Lynn and Rodan in order to make sure this like three, four, five year window we have stays intact. We don't have money to improve this year's team for that reason. Would you be okay with that? Solidify the five-year window, but kind of like wave the white flag on this year? Hmm, good question. You're really backing me into a long view here. Uh, but I, think, I would be happy that have... with maybe one of those two moves. I don't know if I want to see both of those guys back. Do you want to see Lynn and Rodon back? I mean, as Carlos Rodon's biggest fan, yes. As the Lance same guy Lynn. who traded him in the Fantasy League, right? To be fair, I did get Lucas Giolito and a terrible player. So, you know, you got to take that into consideration. How's that working out for you? Not good. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad trade. On paper, it's fine if you go by bold names. But uh, I wasn't a fan of that move, Don. Although I say I, that from basically last place in the league. So what do I know? I think, yeah, everyone's in last place this year. This has been, like, a horrible fantasy year. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I want to re-sign Rodon just because I think, like, his improvements are sustainable. And I think, like, Lance Lynn is so automatic where, even if he's not the most exciting pitcher, like, that dude doesn't seem to fail much. He's either, like, fine or awesome. So, yeah, I want to bring them both back and still have Kopech as, like, this six-swingman type start when needed. Are you good with 120 million for those two for th- uh, those three years? It's probably what it would take, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just figuring the contracts to average to 20 million a year for each of the players three years. I that's what I'm figuring. Lynn uh, yeah, would if, probably be 24. I don't know what's he gonna cost. Well, I don't know because Lynn's up there. I would assume like minimum three years, 45 million total. And he'd probably want a fourth year, but I don't think the Sox would give it to him. And the Rodon's tricky, too, because this is his first year of success, so it's not like he's getting like a six-year deal. So I feel like, yeah, both combined for like $100 million, $120 million sounds about right. And I think that probably also leaves you room to extend Giolito. So, I mean, honestly, like this hypothetical is probably rooted in reality because this is what Han's thinking. Like, Reinsdorf will not give extra money. I need to lock down Giolito and Rodon, and Lance Lynn, how could I ever trade for, like, an impact bat? I, we just don't, we can't afford it. It's like, I, I think I'm, yeah, I think I'd rather guarantee, oh, yeah, what, yeah, what, what do you get? Reinsdorf says you can keep two of three. Who do you pick? Giolito, Lynn, or Rodon? Yeah. I mean, my heart, my heart says Rodon and Giolito, but I think, like, objectively the right move is probably Lynn and Giolito and let Rodon walk because he can't trust us like one year of performance. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I'd love to keep those two Giolito and Rodon. I don't know. I could literally be talked into any scenario where I get two out of three. So that makes me want three out of three. (laughs) I'm not I'd be happy either way, though. Like, if if Rodan leaves and just gets a massive payday, I'd be thrilled for him that he just, like, finally got paid. If, like, some team gives him four years, $85 million or something, it's like, oh, hell yeah. Congrats, Carlos. 
which is probably I see I, that, that's a possibility, like a distinct possibility. He's under thirty. Yes, it's one year, but it's he's had multiple into the sixth inning no hitters this year. It seems like every time he goes out, he's throwing a perfect game. I mean, for a team like the Angels, for example, who just have needed pitching our entire lives, they finally are done with the Pujols contract. Like, doesn't that just make a ton of sense for them to pay Carlos Rodon? And oh, are yeah. we really going to, like, match a contract that's, like, $80 million for Rodon? Like, I don't think so. So he's going to have suitors this offseason. Like, it's we're going to have to compete if we don't re-sign him now. So I don't know what Rodon would prefer. Like, oh, finally having my career year, let me lock down some security for my family with an extension middle of the year or like wait three months. Cause I think Scott Boris is his agent. Like Scott Boris can probably get him a ton of money this year. Really cash in. Yeah. And I could see him going either way. We did give him the one year deal after we didn't extend him last off season, but I, you know, as a professional wouldn't take that as, Oh, these guys had my back. It was mutual. And risk-free for the most part for the Sox. So I could see him walking and not, I wouldn't have any hard feelings about it. Like you're saying, if he gets a mad payday, it's like, we gave him a look. We didn't extend him when we had our chance, but rightfully so, you know, it all worked out, I guess, but I'd love to see him back. Totally. Um, um, I think that's all I got for a uh, midweek after a horrible road trip thoughts. Yeah. That was a, that was a perfectly constructed sentence, by the way. <laughs> Made sense to me. Um, <laughs> the only other thing kind of wanted to pick your brain on was the, uh, the goo police that we saw this week, just oh, reactions man. to everything. I mean, we got guys pulling their pants down in the infield. It, it's been about as bad of a rollout as I could have imagined. Well, okay, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I think it's so funny in, like, the Twitter videos and all, like, the YouTube clips. It's so funny and so outrageous that I think, in some ways, it's, like, kind of going to save baseball. Like, that. did you see the Max Scherzer video with, like, Girardi? I did, yeah. Like, Scherzer is such a personality and, like... I think one of baseball's big problems is, like, we don't really know these guys at all. They're not as marketable as NBA players. But that Scherzer clip, like, that's really funny. And seeing, like, pitchers just go nuts. These are, like, highlights that are, like, fun. And, like, yeah, they're pissed off. But, like, they're all – these are, like, the biggest trending topics last couple of days. So I'm all for, like, there's no such thing as, like, bad publicity for baseball. Let's just, like, have baseball being talked about. So in like a perverse way, I love it. I, I want more of these like weird dust ups where pitchers are pulling their pants down. I respect that. That's that's a good point. I mean, I didn't really take out the, you know, what does this do for baseball's image? Maybe it's a ridiculous image. You got a guy with his pants down, but it's like you said, it's talked about. But just from uh how it all went down, it just seems like all the inspections it seems weird and kind of invasive for you to be on national TV pretty much getting a pat down. I don't know. I think <laughs> they've got to tool around a bit with how they're doing this. So, yeah, because I guess when they first talked about, like, we're going to have these in-game uh, pat downs as a pitcher leaves, they're going to be inspected. I just assumed it would be in the clubhouse. I didn't think that, like, 
an umpire would stick his hand on a pitcher's pants, like in front of 30,000 people. So I feel like they could have spent 30 more seconds thinking this through, but it's funny. I'm all for it. Scherzer's hilarious. I hope that other guy like literally dropped trout. It's like that. That was really funny. But does ironically, have, does that have staying power though? Temper I guess, tantrums yeah. and storming off and huffing and puffing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess like the 200th time I see it, I'm probably not getting that much enjoyment out of it. But right. do you want to see a passive, like a pitcher passively agree to a pat down too? I, I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem right. Like you're saying, I thought they were going to have like in the dugout to do the pat down there. It just seems unprofessional at the moment. I did see though that um do do you like follow John Boy the Twitter guy? He makes I don't. all those YouTube videos. He's awesome. He makes like such funny videos of like what check him out J O M B O I. But he uh, during yesterday's games was uh looking through all the Statcast data of um spin rates because yesterday was the first day it was like really enforced, and Giolito was way down. Like his spin rate was way down, like minus three hundred RPM. Which like it was like the biggest uh, decrease of anyone in that video, so it didn't really impact his performance. Like he was still really good, but kind of like those those numbers, it's impossible to look away. Like oh, was Lucas using some sticky stuff this entire time? Like answer seems to be clearly yes. I mean, I'd say yes. That that's a humongous drop. It's like ten yeah. percent. <laughs> oh yeah, like huge. It was like as big as like Garrett Cole and like those. Those other guys. Right. Fastballs are usually around 2,700 RPM. I think the elite guys, yeah. Yeah. So just for some scale, I remember last last episode we were talking about spin rate, like everyone knew the what's normal. But uh, I think that's that's all I had. I just wanted to get a quick quick take on the, the pat-downs. I think we can wrap it up there. Real quick, real quick at the end, Gordon Beckham sure. or Frank Thomas, who do you like? Oh, okay, hang on. No, this is a whole thing. We've got one more thing. The guest announcers. It's been a joy during these dark days to have former ball players from multiple eras, overlapping eras. We had Gordon Beckham, Ed Pierzynski. Unfortunately, I missed that game. Frank Thomas. It's been great. And you know, I love Steve Stone, but I don't always like the pitch prediction before every single pitch. Sometimes I just want to see the game happen. So it's been nice to have some hitters in the booth. A little bit different uh, presentation, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm going to go with Big Frank as my favorite, just because I think he had his own personality and brand, whereas I felt Beckham was kind of borrowing from a lot of different books. He was still fun and pleasant and did a great job. But Frank, I could see Frank in the booth every day. Yeah, Frank, uh, I mean, well, he's so much more experienced. Like, he does those ESPN broadcasts, too, where I remember when Frank first started doing this, he started doing, like, the post-game show, pre-game show, whatever. He was not good. He's, like, kind of an awkward guy. And, like, he, he, he clearly, like, needed a lot of work. But now he's really good. Gordon Beckham, I thought, improved a lot over the four games. AJ Przezinski, though, like, he's one of those announcers that just, like, hates baseball. 
like when John Smoltz does those um, broadcasts and just like it's three hours of how much baseball sucks and how much how better baseball was in the eighties. Like maybe it's one good. Of those days. It. Yeah, so it's like he's kind of funny. He has some insights, but Gordon, like Frank Thomas, that guy loves baseball. I listen to him every day. Steve Stone loves baseball, but like those pitch predictions, I used to like it to be honest. This year, he has he's actually gotten a lot of them wrong, and I feel like that never happened. So I don't know what's going on with Steve Stone, but like for years and years, be like he's going to go for a slider here. There's a slider. It's like oh, that's kind of cool. This year, it's like here comes a slider. And it's a fastball up, and then Steve Stone like doesn't say anything. Like that's not really pleasant for the viewer to have a guy incorrectly predict the pitch. So I hope, hopefully, he like uses this vacation to recalibrate his his predictions. But I got to go with Gordon Beckham, to be honest. I thought like he had a lot of potential. I liked when announcers played with the current players. I don't think that's done enough where you get like, you know, a 37 year old who just finished his career to comment on the players that are actually like on the screen. Where Frank Thomas, like, I mean, his, he retired a long time ago. Awesome player, awesome announcer, but I think announcers should skew younger the color guy at least for that personal preference yeah it was definitely interesting for him to talk about at bats against pitchers on the team or previously on the team yeah they did a great job and it it was the bright spot for me in the uh absence of winning and run production to have some new calls and yeah that was a lot of fun they did time it pretty funny, like the worst road trip of the season. Like, let's get Gordon Beckham to call four games where we get our asses kicked. It's like, ah, oh, that kind of He's sucks. like, but... I've been here before. Tag me <laughs> right. in. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He has a good self-deprecating humor about his major league career, too, which is nice. It's like the opposite of uh, DJ, who, I he's fine. I Darren Jackson's fine as an announcer, but... When you listen to him talk about hitting and fielding, you would think like, oh, that guy was a Hall of Famer. When you look at DJ's stats, like, oh, he had like 210 and was like out of the league in six years. You want a self-deprecating guy who isn't acting like he knows much more than uh, the current players. Like Beckham McDonald's like, yeah, these guys are much better than me. I really sucked, but I kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you get both flavors of it with... Beckham, who, you know, we all tried rooting for him, but it wasn't good. And then Frank Thomas, who's a legend, legendary right-hand hitter for 10 years. So you do get that swagger perspective that's earned, and then you get the, aha, I stunk guy. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah, big fan. All right. Well, that was nice. We went out on a little high note instead of uh, talking about uh, Joe West reaching into your trousers. Although, I brought it back to that, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sucks for Joe West. Like, a 50-year career, and this is how it goes out. He's, like, fondling Max Scherzer's balls. He's got to. It's part of the job. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back. Hopefully, we'll have, you know, great Sox events to happen. They've always found a way. Let's see if they can do it this week. Thanks for listening.
was unbelievable. I'll tell you what. They have got to start making guys be accountable. That is totally absurd. That just tells you he has blue. Here's an umpire in the American League knows nothing about the game of baseball. That's unbelievable.